So welcome to this ProSavata podcast, part of our ongoing series, Talking Outsourcing. My name is Paul Morrison. I'm Managing Director at Advisors ProSavata and uh, delighted again to be joined by Rakesh, our CEO. Please, Hello, please good Rakesh. afternoon, good morning, good evening, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Paul. Welcome, Rakesh. And uh, today's topic is on how to run a successful BPO transition. And in our previous podcast, we were talking about how to, to work through an RFP tender process to, to select your BPO provider. Uh, this is really all around what happens next. How do you go from in-house delivery to an outsourced steady state? How do you transition without all of your key knowledge disappearing, evaporating uh, as soon as the outsourcing is announced? How do you cut over with, without a massive loss of quality? And how do you do the transition without it taking forever or costing the earth? So there's lots that needs to go right for that transition to be uh, seamless and, and successful. And we've distilled a few of our top tips. We've got nine top tips on what to think about in that smooth BPO transition. So we'll jump straight in uh, with number one, over to Rakesh. Yeah, I guess, I guess the first one for me would be around no surprises. Um, and I think this is beneficial for both the BPO um, provider and the buyer of those services, because what's really important is you reduce the ambiguity um, by thinking about transition a lot earlier than after you've signed a contract. I think you need to make sure that you thought about transition throughout the RFP process uh, as you get into contracting. So you're really clear on the scope. Uh, you've done your due diligence, you understand what the BPO is going to be strong in, weak in, you understand also your strengths and weaknesses uh, as you go through this. Uh, and so I think I think having no surprises, having a very transparent, trust-fueled relationship is probably my tip number one, uh, because I think that's that foundation is the great way to start. So part number one, so to number two then, is all around the right team, the right skills uh, on the bus, as it were. And I think that's something that applies both to the team from the client side and, and the supplier side. Uh, as Rakesh says there about getting things lined up well in advance of transition through that uh, contracting phase and the sales phase, uh, you as a buyer will be exposed to the proposed transition team and you will be selecting your your uh, your winning uh, provider with, with that in mind and that team will be coming into place. At the same time, you need to be positioning on your side the, uh, you know, the lead resources who are going to take uh, the transition forward. And some of those may be obvious roles who are perhaps process leads, but who who is going to guide and steer the transition from your side um, even though the typically the lead for the transition is is guided by the, the supplier, you know who is going to be the counterpart on on your side. So that needs to be really uh, tightly thought through, and those leads need to be dedicated as well. They need to be really focused on this uh, with you know appropriate backfill uh, to enable them to focus on the role. Yeah, I think number three. Good points, Paul. I think number three for me would be around a strong methodology. So, you know, making sure that you've got a clear view around your train the trainer approach, 
what toll gates you'll be following, um, having some contingency built into your transition approach, how you're assessing, you know, the complexity of the processes. Um, and then finally, how you're managing the change process. Because I think um, when you're running the transition, what you find is that your, your project team on the ground working with the people being impacted are really the face of the change. Um, so they need to be singing from the same hymn sheet as the rest of the program, sending the right key messages. So having that strong methodology in place so that the team and the people impacted are well prepared and it's planned and it's organized, I think makes a great difference. And I've seen places, I remember in my Accenture days, um, you know, we turned up with a team. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> we turned up with a team looking to take over these processes and the communication went out the day before we arrived. So yeah, I think uh, you know, a poor methodology can mean that you do these things too late, you don't follow a structured approach, and then you're not training enough people. You know, a big question is around what percentage of your staff do you have as trained the trainer versus uh, are trained um, directly by the SMEs? Um, you know, how do you use the feedback that the uh, impacted staff are giving around um, the new team that are going to be taking over? I think things like that, the little mini um improvements and the many areas of feedback make a huge difference in the success of these types of programs big, big questions indeed so uh, number four then is around having a, a realistic plan an achievable plan uh, and the right sequencing um, so building on the the right methodology has that been translated and set out in a way that that is achievable now. The uh, the strong business cases of BPOs is all around getting to your benefits as, as quickly as possible. So delay is uh, is to be minimised. At the same time, you've got to enable uh, the um, the teams to be able to get up the learning curve in the right in the right sequence. Now that doesn't mean that big bangs are always inappropriate, but typically we see you know, a very carefully calibrated set of waves cut by uh, geography or business unit or combination of the two that enable um, you know, waves of knowledge to build up in the organization and flow out and build momentum and scale over time. That needs to be really carefully calibrated. Um, our next podcast is going to be about uh, transformation and, and we'll talk more about that as well. But there's also questions about when you bring into your trans transition um, additional innovation, additional transformation um as well uh, but in any any bpo um there's going to be what we might call day one adaptations those those tweaks that uh Rikesh, you alluded to there that uh are no-brainer changes that need to happen so all of that needs to be sequenced uh super carefully at the start yeah i think that's just to add to that i think that's a really good point because generally your um bpo provider is going to give you quite an aggressive transition program and that may not be fit for purpose for you. So it may well be, you may want to rip off that plaster quickly and get the job done. But actually for a lot of companies, I think it ends up being too aggressive um, for their culture and for their way of working. So I think that's a great point. Uh, I think number five is back with me. So um, number five for us uh, is really around 
you know, more and more, as much as possible, physical knowledge transfer. Now, in these days of COVID and remote working, I think lots of organizations have been forced into doing remote knowledge transfer. And it can work, but it's never as effective as being there in person and um, really understanding the process and also meeting some of the key stakeholders within the organization. So using that knowledge transfer to be as present as possible um, and also build that rapport in that culture. So if there is a quick question that one has post go live, that they know the relevant people to ask and they've met them before and they've developed a rapport, which probably means that they'll get a quicker answer than going through the official channels. So I think um, as much um, physical knowledge transfer as possible. Thanks, Mikesh. So that takes us to number six, which is on seeding. So it's, it's, a, it's a technical sounding point here. This is around the, the seeding or the, the placement of experienced staff in the delivery team after transition. And this varies by bidder, by, uh, by scope. And the goal here really is to make sure that you've selected a, a partner that is going to hand over to experienced teams. Now, many BPO projects and delivery models are built successfully around uh, relatively uh, junior pyramids of, of, of teams. But within even with those junior pyramids, uh, it's, it's possible and to be expected that there should be people within that who've worked in the process and worked in the industry uh, that is relevant to your work. And the higher that number, the better the chance that there are going to be smarts and a quality of work that is above the average. Um, and you want to really drive that. So, you know, we would typically say at least 25% with that prior industry um, knowledge with some uh, smaller, more technical scopes. We've seen that up to even up to 100%. Um, but at least a minimum of 25 to give you that uh, baseline of, of industry knowledge. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I think the next one's with me, which is number seven, which is around tools and technology to enable your transition to be more successful. So, you know, I think there are now great tools and tech available, things that will automate the writing of standard operating procedures um, so that can be really helpful to accelerate that whole knowledge transfer process and having technology to update the standard operating procedures. There's tools like task mining and process mining that also provide that detailed knowledge of how the processes work today uh, and identify, help you identify the level of complexity and risk on those processes. So I'm a great believer when you're running a BPO transition to run task mining or process mining beforehand and assess the level of complexity based on you know the how standard or non-standard that process is. Because in too many examples, um, the training um, occurs on the happy path so that actually when you go live, the team are really, um, really good on dealing with 50% of the volume, which is on the happy path, but it's the other 50% and all of the other exceptions that are then the challenge, which you are never trained on, don't understand uh, and have to work out. So yeah, I think 
I think having tools and technologies that under, help you understand exceptions, that help you automate um, your standard operating procedures, that help you manage your project effectively, uh, are really good tools and technologies to consider as you're going through a BPO transition. Absolutely. Massive, massive point. And it's that's constantly evolving. It's a really interesting space to space to watch. Um, so number eight then is around having what you might call hyperactive comms and service management. Many of the suppliers in the BPO space now, particularly the market leaders, are are absolutely world-class service providers. So they have super highly evolved methodologies for running a service, for managing it, for governing it, for um, putting changes in place. And uh, you know, it's possible to see you know, really the, the very best in the world at d delivering those sorts of activities, running a service to a high degree. Now, that doesn't always happen, um, but you can and should look for that. And I think particularly when it comes to trans transition, you know, that's really the, the eye of the storm. It's the highest risk moment in the life of the service and uh, the supplier needs to be at the top of their game and you as a buyer, as a user of, of, of outsourcing, um, need to be at the top of your game as well. So uh, you need to be providing, back to the early point, you know, the, the resources and the, the, um, the bandwidth to the team to engage in that governance, to engage in that uh, change management, to understand and to be involved in, in those service level discussions. So really overacting, hyperactive engagement in all of those service management activities is, um, is uh, absolutely vital. Yeah, very good point. Um, I mean, the final one is back with me. Number nine uh, in our top tips for smooth BPO transitions uh, is around making sure you've got penalties and measures. So, um, you know, there's a carrot method. There's also a stick method when you're looking at how you run these contracts. And when it comes to penalties, I think you need to be clear. I think it comes back to the point we made earlier around not thinking about transition after you've signed off. You want to think about transition as early as you can because if there's a delay in transition, uh, if there's an issue identified, it has to be clear who holds that um, liability and who's going to pay that penalty um, because of that, because of that delay in saving. Um, and and if the if the knowledge transfer hasn't gone well and you need to revisit it, who bears that cost? Um, so I think the the cost aspect, the penalties is a really key one, and it links also to your measure of success. So you know one of the key questions to ask yourself is how do you know when the transition has been successful? And the KPI is to measure that success um, being agreed upon beforehand and potentially contracted against with penalties, but also maybe incentives uh, to ensure that you're hitting those KPIs and you're hitting those milestones to ultimately help you deliver a fantastic service. So I think penalties and KPIs are probably the final one around transition um, that I would mention, Paul. Superb. Thanks. Thanks, Rakesh. So that, that ends our whirlwind tour of smooth BPO transitions and our top tips for succeeding in the space if you've got uh, any questions on what you're hearing um you know we'd love to talk with you more feel free to to reach out, out to us and uh we've got plenty more than 20 minutes of ideas on this but that's our our sort of distilled uh, wisdom on this um massive thanks Rakesh for joining us and always a pleasure um, also to our listeners uh, thank you for your time 
uh, as usual, please do subscribe to the podcast um, wherever you get this from, Apple, YouTube, Spotify. And uh, we've got loads more information on prosavatna.co.uk on our ideas and other events. So in the meantime, uh, all the best and see you next time. See you next time. Bye, everyone.